Certain information set forth in the podcast may contain forward-looking statements under applicable security laws. These statements are not guarantees of future performance, and undue reliance should not be placed on them. Although forward-looking statements contained in this presentation are based upon what management of the company believes to be reasonable assumptions, there can be no assurance that forward-looking statements will prove to be accurate. LifeSci Advisors and the company undertake no obligation to update forward-looking statements in the podcast should circumstances or management's estimates or opinions change. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It is not an offer or solicitation to buy securities and does not constitute investment advice. Some phage have anti-biofilm capability, right? They break down biofilm. And some of the aggregates that you see in neurodegenerative disease actually looks a bit like a biofilm, right? So whether it's amylobeta plaque in Alzheimer's, Lewy bodies in Parkinson, in, in, in orphan diseases such as TTR, transthyretin, amyloidosis, they all form sort of a three-dimensional fold called an amyloid fold. And the technology is actually relevant to all these amyloids. My name is Neil Canavan. I am the Managing Director of the KOL Network at LifeSci Advisors. And this is Beyond the Bio, a podcast series that introduces healthcare investors to the people and the pipelines driving the biotech sector forward. Today, I'm speaking with Jonathan Solomon. He's the CEO and board member of Biomics. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Neil, for having us. Now, first things first, for the benefit of those who may not be familiar with Biomics, let's start with the elevator pitch. Jonathan, in 60 seconds or less, tell me where Biomics is headquartered, how long have you been in business, and what kind of science do you do there? Sure. So Biomics actually has a dual footprint, one in Israel, the other one in Connecticut. We've been around for the last five years, and the science is around phage, which is a virus that infects specific bacteria. And we use that in uh, multiple chronic indication, anything spanning from acne, atopic dermatitis to inflammatory bowel disease. Now, we'll take a deeper dive on the phage of biology and related pipeline products in just a few moments. But in first, in keeping with the mission of Beyond the Bio, and that is to introduce listeners to the senior management. So let's talk a bit about you and how you came to be the man at the helm of biomics. You have a BS in physics, University of Jerusalem, circa 1999, then a master's in electrical engineering at Tel Aviv University. This is in 2005. So you start off with what I assume to be a foundation in general principles of physics, and then you move on to the more translatable mastery of electrical engineering. So what was the end game here? What sort of career were you thinking about? Well, I actually spent quite a long time in the military. I started in something in a program in Israel called Tepiot, which is pretty much like a West Point model. And that's where my undergrad is. By the way, the notion is to take a bunch of cadets and sort of train them in basic science so they have broad understanding of research and development. And I've served for a very long time. So I spent 10 years in a classified unit, which was a lot of fun and I cannot talk about. And I think I realized then that what I'm passionate about is actually science. So anything I want to do in the future needs to be heavy in science. And that's sort of what guided me is the understanding that in the end, I'm a nerd and I sort of dig science and management. Those are the things that kind of drive me. Okay. This is a new one for me. We have a, <laughs> a CEO with experience in covert operations. So, so there's a guy running the company that has literally been in stealth mode. Okay. So before I cause an international incident, let's move on to your MBA. You bet. Yeah. So it's MBA at Harvard, no less. So this is puzzling to me as well. Unless you were moonlighting in a company somewhere while you were in the military, you're the first MBA I've spoken to with no business experience prior to getting his degree. Now, how does that work? 
Well, funny stories. I remember like second day in school, I call my dad and I was like, dad, everyone's talking about equity. What is equity? And he's like, son, you're paying quite a lot of money for this MBA. Are you sure it was a good idea? Right. So that's kind of how it started. But turns out, I think at in many of the business schools and specifically at Harvard, they actually like the military type. And they always admit a certain amount of alumni because some of the experience in terms of management and leadership is very relevant. But it was very challenging. I felt like, you know, they say that it's like drinking water right from like a fire hose in the first year because I had no idea about anything basic in business. It's quite a learning curve. Yet you decided to found a company. So this company is called Neurophage. It's now called Proclera. This was based in Boston. You ran that for eight and a half years and you exited in 2015. Now that's quite a leap, right, for business school, both in responsibility and in science. So I have two questions here. Tell me about the leap. How did you think you could skip an entry-level MBA position and go right into this responsibility? Again, you're just referencing the teams from your army days. Actually, as I try to analyze it, it was sort of the opportunity costs, right? Because I think now I can sort of put some sense into it. It was, of course, more random when it happened. But I actually realized that I had quite a lot of leadership experience and quite a position in the military. I was responsible for a large team. You can imagine the amount of responsibility that I had. And I actually couldn't translate that to a role in like the private sector, right? Like people would look at my resume and be like, well, it's all confidential and you just finished your MBA. So we can give you like an entry level MBA job, right? And I'd be like, probably not what I'm looking for. I'm older. I was a bit older than a typical MBA. And again, I was actually a lot more experienced. So it kind of made taking the leap a bit easier, right? Because I could say, well, you know, I can always fall back on an entry level MBA, but I felt that I had a lot more experience going in. So that was the motivation. All right. Now I'm going to make an assumption since we cannot talk about it. And that is the science part. So neither physics nor electrical engineering particularly serve you well when you're talking about phage biology. But you did have a certain inborn advantage here. Tell our listeners about Becca Solomon. Right. So Becca Solomon, also known as Mob, <laughs> is actually she's actually quite an accomplished Alzheimer's researcher. She's some of the earlier inventors with the notions of using antibodies to break down amyloid beta plaque in the brain. And that IP was actually licensed very successfully to Wyeth and Alan, the precursor of Pfizer and J and J in their Alzheimer's program. And Proclara, formerly Neurophage, was actually her brainchild. So she had, after already licensing technology very successfully, she had a new idea, which was involving phage and its ability to break down aggregates in the brain. And so that gave me an advantage to the technology and close relationship with a founding scientist. And I was intrigued and kind of looked at the opportunity did my market research. Again, those were the advantage of the business school. I could tap into all these amazing professors, teamed up with another student that was my business partner and sort of left hemisphere of my brain. And we actually understood that it was quite an opportunity. We should take the leap. And again, the risks were rather limited, right? You can always take a year, see if it works, if we can raise some capital, if it does, great. And if we don't, we'll find a normal job. Hmm. Okay. So Proclera was the company yep. and you were looking into treat Alzheimer's. Now this was and is a very hard thing to do. 
There are failed drug candidates, if not entire companies, all over the CNS landscape. And so I have to assume you hit some rough patches while you were doing that. Eight and a half years. Why did you keep doing it? So the interesting thing about the approach here, and I think what intrigued us, is that the discovery that some phage have the capability to break down aggregates which are associated with neurodegeneration. Now, that's actually something we also use and reference at Biomics. Some phage have anti-biofilm capability, right? They break down biofilm. And some of the aggregates that you see in neurodegenerative disease actually looks a bit like a biofilm, right? So whether it's amyloid beta plaque in Alzheimer's, Lewy bodies in Parkinson, in, in, in orphanin diseases such as TTR, transthyretin, amyloidosis, they all form sort of a three-dimensional fold called an amyloid fold. And the technology is actually relevant to all these amyloids. So for us, the exciting thing was that it is actually very broadly applicable. And it was like, if it's not about the aggregates in Alzheimer's, you can always test it in Parkinson or in amyloidosis, or it's sort of a general phenomenon. And again, as a physicist, those are the things that excite me, right? Sort of finding a general approach to a general phenomenon. Right. Again, I want to go back to the sort of reference to management styles. I want to talk about General Eisenhower. Okay. Famous general, World War II, becomes the United States president. He apparently was a very nice man. But there was one thing that greatly annoyed him about being president as opposed to being general. And this was, as president, he couldn't tell senators in Congress what to do and have them do it. I mean, he would have to ask very politely, and most often they would say no. So <laughs> you're from the service where you give orders. There's a chain of command. How did you have to adjust your management style? So actually, in the special forces classified units, at least what I've experienced was a very different management style than you'd imagine, right? Even the most junior private can voice their opinion and can sort of disagree with the top commander. And so if I actually come out the other end, sort of I like a very open debate that everyone can question anything and you actually need to convince people to do what you think is right and you can't force them. So that part kind of lends itself to at least the way I grew up. Okay. So let's move closer towards biomics itself. Tell me about Ambicure. Right. So Ambicure is sort of the precursor for biomics, right? It later morphed into biomics. And this was, in this case, the brainchild of two researchers, really top researchers from the Weizmann Institute. One is an expert in the microbiome. The other one is an expert in bacteriophage. And they wanted to build a company around that. And it came together in an incubator seeded by Orbimed, Takeda, and J&J. And that kind of how the company morphed. All right. I have a question about your initial funding. I'm quite familiar with Orbimed. How hard was it to get that initial investment? Was it difficult to convince them? Definitely not trivial. Most of the credit here goes to the scientific founders, right? You're talking about the two guys from the Weizmann Institute and Tim Liu from MIT are really the top of the field. If they'll look at their publication track record, mm -hmm. truly is as good as it gets. So I think as every good investor, they wanted to back exciting science and very prominent scientists. And in this case, these are really people that are in the top of the field. So I think initially, once we put it together, there was a story that leveraged their advantages and their field of research. You know, things came together nicely. I'm just going to make a statement. Should there be any actual graduate students on the line or early business people? Pedigree in science means a lot. It does. Yeah. So let's go to the science. 
So uh, assuming that many listeners are not phage experts, just give us a high altitude description on what a phage does. And then I'm going to talk about a conversation that I came to recently that suggested it might not be such an easy business plan. Sure. So phage is basically a virus that infects bacteria. It looks a bit like the Apollo lunar landing vehicle, if you remember, the Eagle. It has these landing pods, which are actually receptors for specific bacteria. So phage is very specific. There's got to be a perfect fit between these receptors and the bacteria. So that's why a phage for one type of bacteria is not going to infect another type of bacteria. Inside the phage, there is a DNA that is injected into the bacteria and basically hijacks the bacteria to start producing a lot of phage. So it's quite a potent tool. So when a single phage infects a single bacteria, in the case of, say, E. coli, 30 minutes later, you're now going to get one dead bacteria and 100 phage. If you wait yet another 30 minutes, you're going to get 100 dead bacteria and 10,000 phage. So it's quite a potent tool. And it's also, because it's so specific, it actually has quite an amazing safety history, right? It's considered so safe because it doesn't interact with any mammalian cells. They're actually even phage have been approved to be sprayed on meat and cheese under what's called grass designation, generally regarded as safe. So that means that the regulatory agencies are saying this thing is very safe, doesn't interact with mammalian cells. So long as you manufacture it properly, go ahead. FDA even publicly stated that if you develop this thing as a drug, you don't need to do any animal safety studies or do healthy volunteers go straight to patients. Okay. So now we know what it does. Now let me talk about this conversation I had. I was at the New York Academy of Science meeting a couple of years ago, and there was a microbiome session. We've already touched on that topic. This was as it uh, microbiome relates to cancer immunotherapy. And part of the session, this investigator got up and he was discussing how he's going to tweak the microbiome of his model mice with phage. And this would allow them to better respond to the immunotherapy. It was a great talk. So I go up to him afterwards and I said, so is there a company connected with this? Because I was really interested in the commercial aspect. And he said, actually, no. And in his opinion, it would be too difficult to do because phage are not only the species specific, they're strain specific. So the bifidobacterium I have in my gut here in New York City is different, most likely, from the one that you have in Israel. And this individual couldn't envision that there would be enough bottles on the shelf to treat a diverse patient population. So my question to you is, tell me how he's wrong. Well, he's right that it's very difficult, right? And I think it's almost unsurmountable when trying to do it in an academic level. I think that's where you need a company. I think that's why at Biomics, our approach would be was to raise a significant amount of capital. And we're probably the company that has the biggest headcount because it's a lot of work, right? If you think about in inflammatory bowel disease, we wanted to target all the strains of Klebsiella out there. We've gathered 500 fecal samples from across the world, as unappetizing as it sounds, <laughs> isolated the bacteria, right? And then started like a massive program of screening until we got a cocktail that had a very broad host range, right? It's not a trivial path, required a lot of bioinformatics, computational biology, synthetic biology, until it converges to something that you got a good handle on. Now, that probably took us two years. The good news here is that we've recently announced a new product in atopic dermatitis. And here, BXO5, here it took us just a few months to have a very broad cocktail, right? So once you have the infrastructure and you've invested in the infrastructure, you can move rather quickly. But it's quite an undertaking with a big pipeline, computational pipeline, robotics, and quite a lot of people that are involved there. Exactly the point, because I think when you want to target something, you want to get 
bacterial samples from across the world and you want to have a cocktail which is broad. But the good news is it is feasible. All right. So yes, a business plan. So let's dive into the pipeline you just mentioned, one of your assets. I want to start with the one that's farthest along in development. This is BX001. It's indicated for acne. So where are you? You're in phase two, yes? Yes. We've just recently launched uh, the phase two. That study is a 12-week study. Should have a readout in the third quarter and fourth quarter. I assume this is topical? It is. It's a topical gel. Okay. So the next asset I want to cover is BX003. This asset is being developed for IBD. It's delivered orally. I have the same question about where you are in development, particularly the phase one data that you had in March. But first, I'm very familiar with oral delivery of small molecules, simple enough, but I don't know about a virus. Was this a new oral formulation? Was it novel? Is this a straightforward thing to do? It's definitely not straightforward because as, as every large protein viruses, they're mostly degraded in the GI pass. Our approach here has been actually to build in our platform a simulation of the gastric pass. And then a lot of it was about screening phage that will be suitable because the hypothesis was that phage have evolved to go after bacteria, right? So you should be able to find some phage. If these target bacteria, Klebsiella, reside in your gut, some phage, not all of them, have probably evolved to go after them. Hmm. So it was a question of finding the right phage that would have the right profile. And some of the profile requirement was actually stability in the gut. So we literally screened hundreds and hundreds of phage until we came out with phage that had the attributes that we were looking for. And you can appreciate how complex it is. To your previous question, right, there got to be phage that offer a wide host range. They got to be stable in the GI tract. Some phage need to have antibiofilm capabilities. We don't want them to carry any toxic genes. And the list goes on and on and on. And it actually translated very well. So the phage that we predicted will be stable in the GI tract have translated. And I think that's where we're so excited about the phase one results because all the platform that we build has actually translated to something we see in the clinic. And you didn't see any safety signals? Nothing. Squeaky clean. Okay. You have two other assets. These are more earlier. They're preclinical. This is BX004 for cystic fibrosis and BX005, and this is for the atopic dermatitis. You mentioned this. Where are we with both of those assets? So both assets are actually in GMP manufacturing, gearing up to a clinical study. Just to give as sort of evidence of the breakneck speed that we're moving, these new two programs were actually announced in November 2020, right? So this is like six months ago. We think we'll start the clinical studies in both of them by the end of this year. Right, so that means that we found phage, we found a broad cocktail, it went to process development, it's moving out to GMP manufacturing. We're going to dose patients and see if we might get results of the phase two end of this year because it's a shorter study. And atopic derm is something we should have. It's a longer study, so we should have results first half of next year. Right, So within 18 months, we're going to generate phase two data. Right, Compare it to a small molecule, that would take you six years. You would do like two years of lead optimization, then you do a year of manufacturing or six months of manufacturing, then you'll do talks, then you do healthy volunteers, and only then you'll start dosing patients. With phage, you can actually kind of skip the healthy volunteers, skip the safety in animals because of the safety profile of phage. And again, because of the platform we have in-house, we can actually come out and identify phage much faster and manufacturing them much faster. I have a question that has actually just occurred to me. Uh, full disclosure to my listeners, I just got my second shot of Moderna, 
but Israel is open for business, are you not? So we running are. these trials is much simpler. It is. Some of them, orphan indications require also probably larger countries if we want to move faster. But yes, Israel is definitely an option. Also, we've been pretty content, by the way, with the IBD study was in the U.S. and worked very well. Right. So because these are safe treatments, sort of patients are a bit, it's easier to recruit, easier to monitor, don't have to have them hospitalized full time. But yes, Israel has been an advantage. I think the U.S. is catching up very quickly. Excellent. All right. So far, we've got BX001, BX003, 004, and 005. What happened to 002? Right. So 002 was relatively a narrow cocktail that targets strains of Klebsiella that were associated with IBD. And then we had big 003, which is planned to be a cocktail that targets the same bacteria, but the strains are associated with PSC. Probably six months ago, we realized that we can come out with a cocktail that would be broad enough to cover strains both from IBD and PSC. So we've consolidated the two programs and just termed the new broader cocktail as 003. Got it. All right. Regarding all the assets we've discussed so far, are these phase that you've optimized in some way, or would you just prospect all of these out in the wider world? So they're all naturally occurring phage. There are a lot of things that you can screen and sort of in evolutionary methods sort of improve them. So that's a lot of things that we do, but we haven't engineered them. So I think our approach has always been, if you can find phage, you're better off because you can move faster. You get all these regulatory discounts and you're not introducing delays in your timelines. But some of the screening process is very laborious. Right? As we talked about, producing this broad BXO3, the broad cocktail, was a process that took the company two years. So we'll still try to use natural occurring phage if we can. If we can't, we're trying to do something which natural occurring phage can't do, like our cancer project, then we'll go to engineering. Ah, okay. You anticipated my next question. You do have one more asset, and this one is more in my wheelhouse, which is oncology. And this specific example here is colon cancer. And this interests me for two reasons. One is this phase treatment is attempting to do what gene therapists do, and that is to deliver a payload. Right. And the second reason is the nature of the science involved here, because it's a fairly recent discovery that some tumors are associated with tumorigenic bacteria. And uh, this is not limited to colon cancer. So run me through the science that you're looking to do here. Sure. So you're spot on. I mean, it's been known for the last 10, 15 years that in colorectal cancer, there are specific types of bacteria called fusobacteria. And we know that most patients with colorectal cancer don't respond to checkpoint inhibitors at all. They have a cold tumor. And what we thought is, can we leverage the fact that the bacteria are present inside the tumor and sort of turn them into small manufacturing plants that would produce a protein or whatever that would heat up the tumor microenvironment. And the way to do it is we thought, well, if we could get a phage there to sort of put in some payload, then we'll be able to heat up the tumor microenvironment. And that's exact. So when we talked to potential KOLs and potential partners, they said, well, first question is, can you show us that if you give a phage intravenously, will it actually get to the bacteria inside tumors? Right? If it does, let's see whether it has an effect with a synergistic effect with checkpoint inhibitors. Right? And I would say even there's an intermediate step. Can you engineer bacteria to actually produce these payloads, right? Because these payloads are human proteins, so the glycosylation might not fit. There's a lot of tweaking that needs to be done. 
So we've actually injected phage into a mouse model of colorectal cancer that have bacteria inside the tumors, and we've demonstrated that we could deliver phage DNA into the bacteria inside tumors. So quite amazing, right? We've actually published a poster around it. But if you think about it, it makes sense to what we talked about in the IBD program. Phage evolved to hunt bacteria. So if bacteria know how to end up inside the tumors, you can find phage that will get there because this is what they do. They hunt bacteria. So we've demonstrated that. And then part two, we've actually demonstrated, and we've announced that in the last earnings, that we can actually engineer human cytokines such as IL-15 to be expressed on the bacteria. And now what we're doing is basically testing these different payloads in combination with checkpoint inhibitor to see which payload has the best profile to move forward to the clinic. Very cool. You said poster. The AACR is going on as we speak. Where does one present phage data? Is it disease-specific meetings or? Yeah, usually you have phage conferences, but I think the bigger traction is disease-specific. Like we got a lot of traction in the liver conference, ASLD, when we present the PSC data. I think cancer, hopefully, if the in vivo data looks good, some of these big cancer meetings will be the suitable place for it. Okay. Just uh, three more questions, then I'll let you get back to work. No worries. Yeah, well, the first is these days a real big issue is manufacturing especially when we're talking about virus and associated molecules. How are you doing on manufacturing? So I'm happy to say that in January 2019, we took a decision to move our manufacturing in-house, right? What we realized that there aren't that many phage manufacturers. It's a new modality. We need to own it. Very much similar to what these gene therapies companies kind of realized along the same period, right? And so we've shifted everything in-house, all the assay development, manufacturing. And that gave us a big advantage, A, over control and quality. B, as a lot of these manufacturers were swamped with making COVID vaccines, right, we could just continue and do our things. So that was a great decision. Very happy. I mean, it does entail complexities, headcounts, etc. But again, because we want to own this modality, it made a lot of sense. Is there any thought about manufacturing virus for other people? Is there revenue stream? Right now, I think we've got our hands full with all these programs, right? But maybe in the future. Okay. So quickly, just two more. Let's talk about IP. How does one or can one patent a a naturally occurring fish? Yes. So I think there are three layers of protection here. The first one, the product is always a cocktail, right? So it's never a single phage. It's always a cocktail of phage that is a non-trivial combination. And for example, you want phage that covers the host range, right? And I said in IBD, this is a result of a two-year project, quite a lot of people doing it. So there's a substantial amount of innovation and it's a non-trivial cocktail, which gives you the IP protection, which is actually something which is pretty common if you look at the other microbiome companies out there, right? Usually it's a bunch of bacteria and you show that it's synergistic and it's a non-trivial combination. It's not a combination you find in nature and that's the strength of the cocktail. That's kind of level one. Level two, if you think about projects such as IBD and PSC, the target is novel, right? So the fact that we're targeting Klebsiella was not known. This was IP that was discovered at K University in Japan, and we have a license to it, right? So when the target is novel, you basically own the rights of using phage for that target. And third, when you look at a project like cancer, which we engineer the phage, then that is a pharmaceutical composition. Yeah, that's straightforward. Okay. Right, exactly. Right. Last question, and most importantly, is money. So you're a publicly traded company. 
What kind of runway does that give you? And what sort of conversations are you looking to have with investors in 2021? Right. So we actually have runway until the second half of 2022. And we're going to have quite substantial catalysts in the next 15 months, right? We're going to have phase two data in ACNE, phase two data in CF, phase two data in IBD, and phase two data in Atopic Durham. So we're well financed to deliver on those milestones. So on our end, there's no urgency to do anything, but we do think that in 2021, it would be a good time to sort of explore, bring some additional investors, sort of high quality syndicate to the table because being a relatively new company and a relatively newly publicly traded company, we need to increase our exposure. So we look forward to having these conversations. Splendid. And I look forward to perhaps even meeting you someday <laughs> when the world opens back up. Soon. I'm planning a trip to New York pretty soon. You know, I'm fully vaccinated as well. So fantastic. That's a wrap today. I was speaking with Jonathan Solomon, He's the CEO and board member of Bionics Therapeutics. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure, Neil. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this week's Benchtop Bios. I hope that this episode will serve as yet another data point to guide you in your investment strategies. If you wish to hear more of life-size Benchtop Bios, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google. Also, if there's a company or a particular executive you'd like to get to know, I do take requests. Please send those to mcanadad at lifesciadvisors.com. Until next week then, goodbye, or for that matter, good sell, whatever boosts your portfolio.